It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are talking to Jacqueline Simone, Policy Director at the Coalition for the Homeless, to discuss Mayor Eric Adams' plans to um, clear out homeless encampments across New York City and put those folks in shelters. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us this morning and also for the work that you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I, I feel like this is this is one of those, like what Eric Adams did, what he announced yesterday, day before, was um, it felt like a return to the New York City that I grew up in. It had none of the sort of compassionate language that we have come to expect when we were talking about people who are unhoused. Um, he plans to just move everybody out of the encampments that they have been living in and into the shelter system, which there's a reason why they chose to live in an encampment instead of in the shelter in the first place. And it feels like none of those issues are being addressed. So can, can you just sort of set the stage for us uh, as to what 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 is real in terms of people facing homelessness in cities across America, and and how should we be addressing this problem? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's interesting because Mayor Adams has been in office for a few months, and he has been portraying this as a new policy, claiming that the prior administration didn't do anything regarding encampments. When in reality, He's just continuing and doubling down on the failed policies of the prior administration. Yep. The Blasio administration did thousands of street sweeps. They were often targeting the same locations repeatedly. Um, and yet it didn't work. And it's because, as you mentioned, the city officials are often only offering people transport to a large congregate shelter, meaning they would be in a dorm with maybe a dozen people, that many people on the streets have made a conscious decision to avoid. So unless cities actually offer people a better, safer indoor alternative, people are going to remain on those streets. They're just going to go from one street corner to another or from the subways to the streets, and they're just gonna be pushed around, but it's not going to address the root causes of why people are sleeping on the streets in the first place. So I love that we started by connecting this to the previous administration, but I actually want to go back even before that, um, mm -hmm. because one of the things that I learned back in 2015 when Bill de Blasio was first the mayor, and I, I did a segment about him clearing out homeless encampments. Um, <laughs> uh, so to your point, yes, this completely predates um, this current administration. But can you talk about um, how the funding for this works because that was the thing that I, I I wasn't familiar with before I sort of researched for that segment seven years ago, um, which is that you know the weird political power maneuvering between the governor and the mayor of New York City um, is frequently the reason why um, this issue persists because politically whoever the mayor is um, you know if it's Rudy Giuliani which is where a lot of this bad policy originated then continued through Bloomberg and and so forth and so on can you talk about the funding um, yeah and and where it where it would go if it were actually um authorized by the governor because I think it's it's called the New York New York agreement am I, I that's what I remember in my brain 
but I, but you're, but you're, you're the, the one who knows better than I do. So help us understand this. Yeah. So this is where it gets kind of specific to New York because New York city has a right to shelter. And that means that the city is legally obligated to provide a bed and a shelter for everyone who wants and needs it. That's based on litigation from 40 years ago that the coalition for the homeless brought against the city. So, um, we're, we're spending billions of dollars on the shelter system. And it's important to note that the vast majority of people who are homeless in New York City, about 50,000 are in shelters. So when we talk about people on the streets, it's actually a minority of the homeless population. It's a few thousand people. We don't know how many. Um, but but it's I, I always just want to mention that like our status quo is very expensive and we're not solving homelessness. We're managing right. it, right? So um the, the city foots most of the bill for the shelter system for single adults. Under former Governor Cuomo, the, the state was shifting more and more of those costs onto the city. And the city also funds the vast majority of what's called street outreach. So the city has contracts with nonprofits who are tasked with going out to people on the streets offering them services, seeing if they want to go into shelters and ideally helping them with housing. But it takes a lot of time to build up trust with people. And also the outreach teams don't always have the types of resources that people want and need. So safe private shelters, they might just be, you know, offering them transport to one of those dorms that people are going to reject. Um, and then over the years, the police's role in those outreach teams has has waxed and waned. So during 2020, for example, when there were the racial justice protests, the de Blasio administration said that they were going to be taking police out of homeless outreach functions. And now we are seeing a reversion of police in homeless outreach functions where it, it almost feels like outreach teams are becoming just another branch of police. And that obviously also has a significant cost, right? When we think about where we're spending our money as a city, I think a lot of it right now is on the criminalization of homelessness rather than on the housing piece. And what you mentioned, Zerlina, about um, the New York, New York program, that's actually permanent supportive housing. So for decades, the city and the state both funded permanent supportive housing, which is permanent housing with on-site support services for people who have mental illness or substance use challenges or other, other issues they're facing where they could use on-site supports. And uh, because of the feuding between Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo, they failed to come to an agreement jointly between the city and the state around 2015, which is when we were all calling for, for that. Um, and because of that, we've had significant delays in bringing online new supportive housing. Eventually, the city and the state announced their own plans separately to fund these desperately needed units. But as a result, we're seeing the impact of those fights from five and six years ago now on the ground where there are many people who would benefit from supportive housing, but an inadequate supply because of those delays because of political infighting. So I think the ideal is that an outreach team would be able to offer someone a safe single room shelter because people don't want to be in a dorm with a lot of strangers. They don't feel safe there, especially in a pandemic. But we also want outreach teams to be able to connect people directly to permanent housing, which we know from decades of research works. And yet the supply just isn't there. And meanwhile, there are administrative barriers to accessing those units. So I think it really does. Um, I, know, I know that's a lot, but it, it, it's important to couch this in the greater context here. 
No, I, it is a lot. I re that's what I remember about it from seven years ago is that it's really it's actually quite complicated. It's 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 a bigger story than just like, oh, you know, Bill de Blasio is doing X or Eric Adams is doing X, even though I think he's certainly his language around this issue and the way that he even positions himself um, in, you know, as a sort of like tough on crime situation. Um, uh, that that he's currently doing and and sort of personality um is is important but that larger piece and understanding that funding is like super critical otherwise it doesn't make any sense right right <laughs> and and you know there was a story recently that despite this massive need of all the people in shelters who are waiting for supportive housing and the people on the streets we have about a 10 percent vacancy rate in supportive housing in our existing housing stock in new york city and that's because of administrative barriers and bureaucratic red tape that are preventing people from accessing those apartments so we need both we need to break down the barriers and have more cooperation in bringing new units online, but we also need to better utilize the existing stock and treat this like a crisis and recognize that people are on the streets because they feel they don't have a safer option. So it's up to the city and the state to give people a safer option. It, it feels especially jarring because these are happening in large liberal cities. You mm -hmm. know, I, I don't, I don't expect to read about crackdowns of encampments of, of unhoused people if I'm thinking about New York City or Seattle or Portland or places where you know generally there's some there's some sanity and some compassion involved in public policy um this feels like like there's been more of an abdication of that responsibility and and I'm I'm wondering like is there is there something that these cities should be learning from each other? Should they be communicating better about, or is there not a one size fits all? Like, is it gonna look different in Seattle than it does in New York? Yeah, well, the solution is housing, right? And the cause of mass homelessness, especially in these large cities is on the lack of affordable housing. So that's sort of, I think that sometimes people mistake, um, you know, the correlation of it's a liberal city and there's a big homeless population with causation, when in reality, the, the common denominator across all of these different cities is that there is a significant lack of affordable housing. So I, I wish that these cities would all focus more on giving people housing, both through building new, deeply affordable housing and also ensuring that people have subsidies so they can afford the existing housing stock better. Um, I do think that we're, we've been lacking federal leadership on this issue, right? Um, you know, President Biden, when he was campaigning, promised that he would make Section 8 vouchers, which are really the gold standard in terms of rental subsidies and entitlement for everyone who's eligible, because right now only one out of every four eligible households receives federal assistance. And yet, since he's been in office, we have seen that promise deferred. And even, you know, the Build Back Better Act was going to have a big expansion of federal housing subsidies, and that has stalled. So we really need greater urgency and leadership and coordination from the federal level. Um, but in the meantime, I think that it, it's been really disturbing to see this increase in sweeps and encampment clearings because it is in direct violation of CDC guidance. Nice. So we're still in a pandemic, right? And the CDC has explicitly stated since 2020 that unless individual housing options are available, people should be allowed to remain in encampments um, because otherwise these sweeps and this heavy handed policing causes people to disperse within the community 
or it forces them into congregate dorm style shelters where they're at significant risk of contracting or spreading the virus that causes COVID-19. So not only is it just a, a misguided effort, but it's also harmful from a public health perspective. Right. It's, it's so, so true. And I think one of the, one of the things that has always really bothered me deep down about this particular issue is the way in which our public policy is so inhumane. Um, mm. and, and to the point about it being a global pandemic, I mean, the fact in the beginning when it was like empty hotels, but like there are people who are unhoused outside of those hotels and parking lots. Mm-hmm. I was just like, something is wrong with us. Actually, maybe right. something's wrong um, with us. Like in this moment, you don't need to make profit. It's a global pandemic. It's like, you know, we all have to deal with this pandemic. Why? Why are we watching from the window? Those people in the parking lot. That is mm-hmm. inhuman. Um, and the the other piece that you you mentioned already is the the things that create the conditions um you know for for people not having a place to live i mean there's a lot of reasons and there are a lot of resources that we know work um to keep people housed to keep people um in safe living environments i mean why don't we talk about those things as opposed to connecting people who are experiencing homelessness to crime because it's actually I find that like low hanging fruit. Yeah. When we're yeah. assuming that, you know, people who are unhoused are committing all of these crimes somehow. Like I don't mm-hmm. even think the statistics bear that out. <laughs> so so why do I mean what on the public policy level can we do to shift this conversation away to like, oh, we need to solve this problem um of quote unquote homelessness because of crime versus like we need to solve this problem of homelessness because we're we're humane and right. we believe that everybody exactly. deserves a, sh- a roof over their heads safe places exactly sleep. it's and you know the data show that homeless people are more likely to be the victims of crimes than the perpetrators and yet they are too often scapegoated and vilified and these encampment clearings are being done in the name of public safety um I think that instead we need to zoom out and look at the larger structures that have created homelessness and also the systemic racism that's part of this, right? We haven't talked about that yet, but housing justice is racial justice. And when we talk about housing discrimination and discrimination in our criminal legal system and in our social services policies, it's you're much more likely to become homeless if you are Black or Latinx. And, and then when we have this heavy handed policing response, if people do become homeless, it is disproportionately affecting those same communities. So I think that instead of just vilifying homeless people and uh, treating this as a public safety or police issue, we need to treat it as a housing issue. And, you know, these conversations are happening at the same time that we have so many Americans who are on the brink of homelessness because eviction moratoria have expired across the country. And people don't, the federal government has not allocated a sufficient amount of funds to keep people in their homes. So it's almost as if these conversations are happening in parallel when they're all part of the same housing system failure, right? That, that we have yes. so many people who are on the brink of homelessness. We have a pandemic that showed how important a home is when everyone was told to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And then we have the vilification of people who are homeless and who are on the streets. And it's like, no, this is all part of the same failure to recognize housing as a human right and to ensure that everyone has their basic needs met. It's so, it's crazy that like, as we get to, 
we all know the stats that like 40% of the country doesn't have $400 to handle an emergency, right? We all, we all know that there are a lot of people that are living on the brink of absolute economic devastation. And, and then somehow when that turns into homelessness, we're like, oh, this is a mental health issue. Like how, what, why, <laughs> why is there such a disconnect? Like we, we can literally watch American families fall off, like who look a lot like ours. There's no extenuating circumstances here, just bad luck fall off the cliff. And then when they get to the bottom of the cliff, we're like, oh, now they're completely different people with completely different sets of, of issues. And we can't address them at all in the same way that we could when we were talking about a livable wage. Yeah. Like, why, do, I, why does that happen? Who did that to us? <laughs> so, so I'm not a psychologist, but my theory is that that othering mm. and the pathologizing of poverty is almost a defense mechanism. Yep. It's a way yeah. of saying, oh, well, that happened to us. Me. Or, you know, I, it, it also absolves society of the responsibility to do something about it, yep, right? Because right. we blame individuals instead of looking at these systemic failures. And it means that we don't have to be holding our elected officials accountable for, you know, mass homelessness and for failing to ensure housing as a human right. And I think that, look, like there, there are certainly people who have mental illness who are homeless, but also the trauma of homelessness exacerbates underlying people are facing. So it's, we know from decades of research that even for people who are grappling with mental illness or substance use or other challenges, what they need first and foremost is a stable home. So you can wrap support services around someone once they know where they're sleeping at night and they have that basic foundation of housing, but it's really hard for people to maintain connections to medical care or to get sober if they're sleeping on the sidewalk. Right. So, so this is why it's like, I think that, that we, we, as a society tend to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Right. We say, Oh, right. we can never solve homelessness. It's like, no, you solve homelessness by giving people homes and then you wrap supports around them. It's right. just, there's failure to do that. We always act like it's all complicated. It's so funny. We're so funny. We're just like, oh, what do we do about public education? We just can't figure out how to make these schools in certain communi- communities just like the schools in the other community where we put more money. We just, it's so complicated. It's like, it's like, you know, some that mathematical equation gift where people are trying to figure out the formula. No, we actually do know. We actually know yeah, it works. Yeah, you solve homeless Super simple. Yep. Jacqueline Simone, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is not something that we talk about nearly enough. Um, And thank you for doing all of the work that you do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thank you. Literally anytime. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.